Jesus, you said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than that he laid down his life for his friends. And then he said, you are my friends if you do all that I command you. The greatest of love was the son laying down his life for us. And yet that principle is still true in the natural. We do pray God for the family and acquaintances and close friends of those who have lost those serving our country. And we ask God for your special grace and comfort and that you would enter the midst of it and reveal the true hope that's only found in Jesus. So may your blessing be upon our time in the word today. We thank you that you are here, God. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are going to do a study from the little book called Haggai. That was the name of the minor prophet. Minor only because of the shortness of the book, not because he is minor in God's economy. And that's three books from the end of the Old Testament. So if you've never read it before, it's only two chapters. It's, it's one of the quick ones. And so please turn to Haggai chapter 2, because that's where we're going to be studying. And while you're turning there, I just want to kind of give you a, um, some idea of who I am, because some of you are new here in the last four years. That was the last time I was here, four years ago in, in May. Uh, my wife and I, um, we started out uh, with a little home fellowship in November of um, 1981 and turned into a church, Calvary Chapel, North Phoenix. And I was there for 29 years pastoring, still there. Uh, my son took it over in 2010. And that freed up my wife and I to go around and use our ministry experience to help out other pastors and wives and that led us eventually over to the UK to take over a, a small Calvary Chapel there. And for the next seven years almost, we served there and raised up British leaders and went around in the Europe as well as all around the UK. And uh, it, was a, it was a high adventure. It was a wonderful time. Uh, but then I had a heart attack over there and uh, about three and a half years ago, and a few months after I was here, not that you caused my heart attack, but it was, it was just a few months after I was here. <laughs> uh, and it was a game changer because we had to make a quick transition of the church to a British pastor. And then as I went through um, rehab and, and got my strength back, we thought, great, now we can you know, really go around and, and dive ourselves into the work and encourage other pastors in Europe and the UK. And then it's one of those times where the Lord just taps you on the shoulder and said, uh, let's go for a walk. And um, we had purchased a home for a rental in Colorado because our oldest son is on staff with Pastor Ed Taylor up there in Calvary Church. Uh, and that home was to be a rental and then when we were ready to come back, we would just uh, uh, not renew the, the, the lease and then move back. It was simple, simple plan, God. And he says, uh, no, um, you're, you're moving back. And so um, I argued a little bit, I have to confess, kind of like Peter when he said in the book of Acts, not so, Lord. 
but then God always wins. So we went through the process of preparing to move back. Little did we know that there was a global pandemic on the horizon. If we had stayed there, we would have been stuck and just now coming out of lockdown in the UK. I mean, they had police on the roads during that time pulling over any car who was, uh, you know, they're supposed to be holed up in their house and it's a thousand pound fine, which is like $1,300 per passenger. <laughs> there was one, one van that they pulled over and um, um, it was, it was some uh, younger folks and they just wanted to go down to the city of Plymouth and get some Doritos. And so they got fined a thousand pounds piece. Those are expensive Doritos, by the way. So, um, God's pretty smart, isn't he? I mean, sometimes he gives you leading and then he doesn't tell you why because he knows why and he doesn't want you to mess with it. So, um, it's, here we are and I'm glad to be here. We're, I'm doing fine. Um, I've lost a bit of weight, which is a bummer way of losing weight. But still, you know, here we are. And in our text today, we know that we're in the middle of a historical document that ministers to the Jewish people during a really intense time in their life. But what really stood out to me as I was reading it is the days we are living in is very similar to what they were going through. And some of you here this morning and some of you watching online, you're going through these things. And you're wondering why things aren't the way they should be. How come it's so humble now compared to what it used to be? And, and you look at your own life and, and you know, um, it's just not the same now. And how does God see it? Well, I've got some good news for you. He, he sees through everything and he sees your heart and he also knows what he wants to do. And it's a good thing. So, I want you to follow along. We're going to do verses 1 to 9 in chapter 2 of Haggai. And then we're going to dig into it. I'll have to give you a little background history, but it won't be... If you hate history, just bear with me, because it's important. All right? Follow along with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month... The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And I'm sure you've noticed so far that he's referring himself as the Lord of hosts quite often. And there's always a reason when things are repeated multiple times in Scripture. You realize in these two chapters that 12 times God refers to himself as the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. We just sang in a chorus here, our, our King Jesus. You realize that Jesus is the Lord of hosts. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and grave, and all angelic powers are submitted to him. And we're attached to him as the body of Christ if you believe on the Lord Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. So why do people chase angels? Why do they make a big deal? I, I, I want to see an angel in my room. I want Listen, we're attached to the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer on the Lord yet, then you're going to get tossed around because there are demonic forces at work today. You think it's just an accident for all of this angst that's going on in our nation and our world? We know from the book of Daniel that there are spiritual forces that govern whole kingdoms. And so, that wasn't in my notes, but I, I, thought, I, I thought it was important to share that this morning. Here's the situation, what, what was going on at that time. In 586 B.C., by the way, B.C. means before COVID, okay? <laughs> 586 B.C., the kingdom of Babylon came against Jerusalem and Judea, completely wiped it out took the temple, tore it apart, took everything that was of value back to Babylon, took all the people captive to Babylon, except the very poorest of the land. And Jeremiah was amongst them, and, and still they didn't want to stay there out of fear, and they wanted to go down to Egypt against the word of the Lord. It was a humbling time for them. And then the, the Persian Empire rose with King Cyrus and they crushed the kingdom of Babylon 50 years after that. So 536 B.C., an edict went forth from Cyrus the king to have the Jews go back to their uh, city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and pray for him. And so 50,000 of all those that were taken captive, only 50,000 came back because it was risky. It was dangerous. And yet Cyrus gave them materials to build the temple. He gave them the official documents so that the enemies, nations around them would just chill and, and settle out and not bother them. 
But, when he, but then when they walked into Jerusalem and saw the rubble, they couldn't do anything except clear the land first. And these are massive stones. It was a lot of work. It took two years just to lay the foundation. I mean, I realize that some of you are waiting for your house to be built and it's taken two years to lay the foundation because there's no materials or, or workers. But just the whole emotional experience of it, I, I think if we had a scratch and sniff Bible, we could kind of pick that up, but we, can't, we don't have that. Or a YouTube video. And you know, it's interesting that it does take work to lay a foundation. And some of you have just recently surrendered your life to Christ. And God is laying a foundation in your life, foundation of Christ. Christ alone, through faith in him alone. And learning about the grace of God rather than trying to perform to get God to like you like oh, all the religions are based upon my work to get the blessings of the God that I'm supposedly serving. But Christianity is, is a whole nother, whole nother uh, realm because God has done the work through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are just to rest in his grace and believe in him and change from performance mode to belief mode and trusting in his grace instead of our works. So now, they hadn't had a word from the Lord since the days of Daniel. And all of a sudden, in chapter 1, we see in the second year of King Darius, a new king came in. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to the leaders. After two years, the surrounding, after they laid the foundation, the surrounding nations got really intense and went up to the new king after Cyrus and got an order of cease and desist. And so the Jews could no longer build uh, their temple. They had all the materials, but now there's a new order of cease and desist. And for the next 14 years, no work was done on the temple. They had an altar of burnt offering. They were doing their sacrifices. But, but everybody just got now self-focused on their own life. As a matter of fact, there's indications here in chapter 1 that they were taking materials from the temple and bringing them into their house. They were paneling their houses with the paneling brought down for the temple. How can you do that? Well, you just get self-focused. You lose your vision, and it's all about me and trying to exist. And what I like, and this is, this is how I run my life, whatever I like. Boy, the Lord was watching. And it's interesting that he spoke to them on the first day of the sixth month. In the Jewish calendar, it's based on the lunar uh, calendar. So the new moon is the first day of the month where there's no light reflecting on the moon. And then the 15th of the month, of course, is when it's full moon. And so God comes to speak to them in the midst of their darkness. And they were not just in physical darkness, they were in spiritual darkness. 
they didn't have any hope. They were self-focused, and their life was full of trouble. Every time they tried to go forward, it just wasn't happening. And so the Lord just says, uh, basically, consider your ways in verse 5 of chapter 1. Look at what's happening to you. Yeah, yeah, I know what's been going on. As a matter of fact, I'm the one that's touching it. I'm trying to get your attention. Things are breaking down because I'm trying to get your attention because you're, you're focused on you instead of what I've called you to do. And him referring to himself as the Lord of hosts is to get them to see God is your protector, not man. Yeah, the surrounding nations had their armies. Yeah, the Persian Empire had their armies. The Jewish people down there had no standing army. And so how could they dare go against the king's edict? Because it's the Lord of hosts. He's their protection. He's got the army. And it just again and again and again, he tells them that. And sometimes we need to hear that as well because we're so worried about what's going on around us that we we forget how powerful our God is and that he wants to do things his way. He tells them to consider their ways and they receive the prophecy and we find out at the end of chapter 1, on the 24th day, they begin to work. Now, why did it take them 20, 24 days to get to work? Because God said, okay, now you're going to have to go up to the mountains and get wood and bring it down. Because you know, I had all the materials for you, but you used it in your house. So now you're going to have to get back to work, and, and you're going to have to do the hard things to get back on track. Isn't that interesting when we get on track and start just focusing on our own life to get back into the place that God wants us to be, it takes a lot more work than it did before because you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind and you've got to go a whole other direction. And the Lord says, I'll be with you, but you're going to have to work. It's going to, you're going to have to lay in, you know, that foundation. You're going to have to do the extra things I was trying to make it easy, but you, took, you just took advantage of it. So now it's going to be a little more tough, but I'll be with you. Some of you have backslidden, and now you're just coming back to the Lord, and it's been some years, and there is this sense that the Lord counts you as some second-rate citizen. And I just want to tell you, that's not how God sees you, because before he called you, he knew what you are going to do and he still called you. He chased you down. He knew where you're going to be. He boxed you in. He brought you to that place of brokenness. And you're back. And he's loving it. But you've got these barking dogs. Oh, you're such a creep. Oh, you know, how could you ever do that? You know, what kind of Christian are you? And it's just barking dogs, you know, like little chihuahuas and, you know, <laughs> terriers and all this. <laughs> and... And you just got to say, God, I want to hear your voice. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and flush out those thoughts and help me see myself as you see me. Now, they got to work. And then in chapter 2, 
It's interesting. He says to them in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? Solomon's temple. There were some old ones there. And this, this, what they were doing was like a shack compared to Solomon's temple. You know, the value of the gold that was just in the holiest place of Solomon's temple came to $20 million. And so here they're building kind of a, like a she shed, you know. <laughs> it just was a basic. It wasn't even a metal building. It was, you know, it was humble. But you ever consider in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Maybe they didn't say anything, but God knew, knew their thoughts. God always knows our thoughts. He knows the difference between our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And the Lord says to them, how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? God knows our inner thoughts. He knows and he understands when things in our life are torn down through God's chastening hand, the rebuilding process is usually long and difficult, and we can easily just want to give up. The current condition is so weak compared to how it was before. But just as the Lord exhorted the people here, God will give us direction and encouragement by his Holy Spirit. And some of you are looking at your life right now, maybe, and you're, think, you're, you're thinking, you know, I used to be so useful, now I'm not. And the Lord says, I know your thoughts, but you're not seeing things like I see them. God wasn't interested in the glory of the outward building. He was the glory in the building. And I just want to say that we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit in the book of Corinthians. God sees us, these cracked clay vessels, and the glory is him inside. It's not us. And some of us, through accident or illness or disease, are quite broken physically. And we can't do what we used to do. I mean, hey, we live, in a, we live in a tent. This body's like a tent. You know, it's a house that's a shack, really. I mean, the shingles fall off up here, <laughs> right? The plumbing backs up, you know. The, the walls budge out because gravity takes its toll. I mean, I know how it is. You know, I don't like waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and seeing my dad. And I look just like him. Yeah, he's with the Lord now. He's busy. So what was the Lord's remedy? Verse 4. Yet now, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Get back to work. 
Instead of focusing on, oh, man, I can't believe it's like this now. You know, how come it's like this? And oh, poor me. And, and you're just all, like, wrapped up in yourself. Stop it. The Lord is just saying, you know, grabbing a little kid by the face and saying, look at me. <laughs> you know, stop it. Get back to work. How do you get back to work spiritually? Get back in the Word. Get back in serving others because Jesus has served you. Get back to work in releasing those who have offended you and forgiving them before they repent. Yes, before they repent. Because you're not to be locked up by the offense that they gave you. Forgiveness is God's key to set you free from your prison. What if they die and they never repent? Are you going to be in prison the rest of your life now because they never repented? That doesn't make sense. Do you realize God was ready to forgive you before you repented? And even now, maybe you've, you've done things, you've sown to the flesh. God's ready to forgive you because that's his purpose. He's ready to forgive. He's already done it through his son. He just wants you back, kind of like the father with the prodigal son. But you're afraid that they'll get away with it. Those that offended you will get away with it. Well, how does that work between you and God? Does he deal with you like that? Does he deal with me like that? No, it's, it's forgiving forward, you might say. And God's called us to do it, but you can't do it on your own. The power of the Holy Spirit is what brings that to pass. Look at verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, says uh, the Lord. Do not fear. Do you realize how much fear plays a part in our actions? We're afraid. If I forgive them, they'll get away with it. We're afraid that if I don't take advantage of this, I'll miss this opportunity. We're afraid that if I don't look right, that person won't respect me. We're afraid that, I mean, fear, 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 fear. I look back on my 53 years of knowing the Lord, and, and I can trace every time I went into disobedience with the Lord, it was based on fear and pride. Doggone it. And there's always a price to pay, by the way. Don't ever think you get away with it. Man, it's the worst credit card in the world. The interest rate's really high. <laughs> but then the Lord said, I'll take it. We'll do this together. I am with you. Do not fear. Some of you know what you've been called to do, and you've been fighting God with it for years because you're afraid. And God is speaking to you right now, saying, do not fear, I am with you. God wants to calm the storm in your heart before he calms the circumstances. And uh, we see that with Jesus when the whole thing happened, when he walked on the water to where the disciples were. I am with you. My spirit remains among you. You know what's interesting? This prophecy came at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. That was when everybody had to stop work 
and they had to go live in tents, either on top of their house or lean-tos, and they were to live for one week in the tent to remember from where they came. They came out of Egypt, living in tents through the wilderness. And they were to remember that every year for a whole week, camping out. And it was also during the Feast of Tabernacles that the Lord Jesus said a very powerful thing. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood excuse me, and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, <laughs> kind of like me now, <coughs> if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is now glorified, and the Holy Spirit indwells you when you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you have the power of the risen Lord living in you. And so whatever you think you can't do, the Lord can do in you. There's nothing that our God can't do. When you turn your life over to God and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life to make his home within you. And he who is in you is the one who brings you life and purpose and fulfillment in everything you do. No matter if you're stuck at home, no matter if you're a caregiver to someone who's in hospice, God gives you daily that sense of purpose and life and fulfillment because it's all a level playing field with him. He doesn't count one person higher than another. God's no respecter of persons. You're important to him. And, and age is not a deal with God. Don't you understand that? It's, you're precious in his sight, no matter how old or how young you are. I like a devotional that Charles Spurgeon gave years and years and years ago concerning old people. Now, some of you are old. You're over 35, you know. But here's what pa Charles Spurgeon, he takes the, the parable of the landowner who hired uh, laborers to come into his, his harvest. He hired some in the morning, said, I'll pay you a day's wage. Then he went out and hired others at noon and said, I'll pay you what's right. And then he went, even at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, the 11th hour, he comes to some and says, you're just hanging out. I need some laborers. I'll pay you what's right. What's right. And so they agree. And here's what Charles Spurgeon says about the 11th hour workers. Yes, there is work in Christ's vineyard for old bodies. It is the 11th hour, and yet he will let us work. What great grace is this? Surely every old man ought to jump at this invitation. After men are advanced in years, nobody wants them as servants. They go from shop to shop, and employers look at their gray hairs and shake their heads. But Jesus will engage old people and give them good wages too. This is mercy indeed. Lord, help the age to enlist in thy service without an hour's delay. But will the Lord pay wages to worn-out old men? Do not doubt it. He says he will give you what is right if you will work in his field. He will surely give you grace here 
and glory hereafter. He will grant present comfort and future rest, strength equal to your day, and a vision of glory when the night of death comes on. All these the Lord Jesus will as freely give to the aged convert as to the one who enters his service in his youth. Let me tell this to some unsaved old man or old woman and pray the Lord to bless it for Jesus' sake. Where can I find such persons? I will be on the lookout for them and kindly tell them the news. Some of you moved down to this area to retire and live the easy life. Well, I, I just want to say there's still treasure in heaven available for you. I don't mean you have to be a missionary, but you've got to use your freedom to lay up treasure in heaven. Jesus commands it. And whatever that looks like, that's between you and Jesus. But it's a mindset that I want to use my life and I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I want to take a look at my life and go, Lord, you have all of me. I am yours. My life is yours. You are my Lord. I am your servant. Help me finish well doesn't matter if you've fallen, doesn't matter if everything's crashed and burned, finish well, get back up and work. Finishing out here our study, we see here in verse 6 through 9, for thus says the Lord of hosts, now look how many times he says this, once more it is a little while I'm going to shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, I'm going to shake all nations. Dude, it's all going down. I mean, there's a day when it's all going down, and it's soon. And I will fill this temple with glory. Uh, they shall come to the desire of all nations. Now, when, when God says this, he's looking beyond the building, because Herod, Herod made a great building, but it got leveled in 70 AD. And um, Jesus said, there's one greater than the temple here, and he's referring to himself. Jesus is the glory. And when Jesus lives in your heart, there's a glory to God that takes place. No matter if the house falls apart. The, the outward man perishes and the inward man is renewed day by day. Praise the Lord. The silver's mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the for me. Uh, the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give shalom, peace. How we need the peace of God. You all know what the eye of the hurricane is. It's the place of peace, great weather, no wind, as you're watching the, the cows and the tractors spin around in a hurricane. <laughs> but it's a place of peace in the midst of the storm. God wants to settle the storm in your heart before he settles the storm outwardly that's going on in your life. And you've been switching it around. You, can't, you think you can't have peace inside until the circumstances are sorted. But I want to tell you right now, God wants to sort out the circumstances in your heart first 
so you can hear clearly to take the next step. And I just want to encourage you, no matter how long it's taken, God's patient. And right now, he's ready to work. Because let me tell you, today is the only day that matters. You were born on a day called today, and your mother knows it. You're going to die on a, on a day called today. It'll be present tense. The rapture will happen on a day called today. It's never going to happen tomorrow. I want to finish well today. How do I finish well today? I surrender my life to him, turn over the keys of my life, and say, okay, God, it's you and me. If you said you're with me, we can do this. But if you're not going to be with me, I can't do this. So fill me with the Holy Spirit, and let's do this. Like the Lord says, get back on track and work, because I'm with you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray for those, Lord, that have been beating themselves up through Satan's suggestions and have closed off their ears from your word of encouragement and exhortation. Right now, God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would blow away those dark clouds and the sun would come up in their life. And there'd be a, a time of refreshing from your presence that would just wash away, flush out all of that brine, all of that, um, uh, the thoughts and the attitudes. And God of heaven, if there are those watching online or here in the sanctuary that have not yet surrendered their life to your son, Jesus, grant to them faith and courage to believe right now and to start fresh on this Memorial Day. If this is you, as we're continuing to pray, what is God looking for from you? He's looking for you to call to him and just say, God, I ask your forgiveness for the sin of my life. I repent and I turn to you, but I'm afraid. I don't know what it looks like. Put something like that in your own words. Mean it from your heart. God is ready to receive you because he's already purposed to forgive you. And those of you that have gotten off track right now, God is saying, come on, let's get back. Get back to work. I'm with you. We can do this. And so we give this to you now, Lord. It's, it's you and us. In Jesus' name, amen.